Nearly two decades after the September 11th terror attacks, the death toll continues to rise. The story is still unfolding. It certainly is evolving. When commercial jetliners struck the World Trade Center, the first thing Dr. Michael Crane did was pray. Today, he heads the World Trade Center Health Clinic at Mount Sinai. We are now seeing about 76,000 responders. Um, We think that that's out of a total of maybe 90,000 overall. Um, They are still coming in. New patients are still coming in. Um, Every we saw about 70 or 80 here per month in the the last year. Uh, So... The program is being utilized and it it still continues to expand. Mount Sinai monitors responders, but they're not the only people getting sick. The accepted figure for the community population, where you live, you work, you pass through, you taught in school, you went to school, you had your law office there, was about 400,000 people. Um, And while our colleagues at Bellevue have been taking care of the uh, those folks in the survivor program under, uh, under this Joga Act, um, there's still a lot more to go. They have about 20-odd thousand folks between there and the national program, so it's only about 5% of the population. Many more people need to be monitored because World Trade Center-related illnesses are taking hold. Initially, people had problems with their lungs and digestive tract. We've seen things like prostate cancer and thyroid cancer, and some of the blood tumors like leukemia and various other tumors um, in the population um, at rates mm, a bit higher than we would have expected. And then we see other cancers like lung cancer, which we don't see as much as we had expected. We had figured initially, well, my gosh, you're breathing all that stuff in. That's what the target's going to be. But up to now, um, at least the last numbers we have, it hasn't really exceeded expectations. When the towers fell, a witch's brew of carcinogens washed over lower Manhattan. There's a long list of stuff, metals, uh, definitely concrete uh, fibers. Uh, You had asbestos, you had uh, glass fibers, you had uh, other metals known to be uh, carcinogenic. You had polycyclic aromatic hardwood carbons, You, you name it. Uh, in the list of bad things for people to breathe, and it was in there. Uh, And again, coming back to the folks who were there uh, in the the very early days, we don't and we never will know all that they ingested or inhaled. We just, we're never going to have the information. It, It blew away in the wind. Predicting how these toxins will sicken people and who could be at risk has been difficult. It was really complicated. Uh, It was everything in the buildings, plus it was all on fire. And it it stayed on fire. Uh, As you recall, uh, for weeks afterwards, every time somebody moved a beam, the oxygen would get in and the flames could actually shoot up. So um, it's a very, very complicated mixture. Um, My basic premise since I've been doing this is that nobody really knows what was in what was released from the pile and into the dust cloud. We just didn't run out there with the right meters to catch all that stuff when it was was spewing out. We know what hit the ground because we could go out and get little cups, which is what we did, and get the stuff and, and bring it back. But we don't have the whole story about what people breathed. And we know that while people made valiant efforts to um, get respiratory protection out there, often the, the masks got clogged up, the guys had to 
pull it off to uh, guys, I'm saying in the generic sense, uh, the people working there, and they had to pull the mask off to communicate, to breathe. Um, so the respiratory protection was quite incomplete. Uh, so we have an unknown exposure, and um, the, the basic rule of occupational medicine is you, when you have an unknown exposure, particularly to an unknown mixture, you have to keep an eye on everything. Uh, so it's still a challenge to this day to, to understand what's happening, to predict what's going to happen, because at the end of the day, we just don't know what people are exposed to. One thing is clear to Dr. Crane. A second wave of World Trade Center illness is at hand. Well, this is a personal opinion now, um, not science. I have a personal concern about lung cancer and lung tumors. Um, I've had a career-long interest in asbestos exposure, and there were thousands of pounds of asbestos release when those towers came down. And it was in the dust, and it stayed there, and it was breathed in by people. So most of the research on asbestos in populations has uh, shown that most of the impact comes after 20 years of a major exposure like that, and uh, as late as 40 to 45 years. So I have a, I have a sort of a long-term concern about that. But on the plus side, I think we have the tools available, um, if we can see the folks, uh, to make a difference, to uh, find those, uh, those um, changes early and, and get people under proper scrutiny. There's a lot of studies of asbestos, and there's exposure for a period of time, and then there's a latency. And latency is just what happens to the cells and how they continue to develop most normally, but occasionally cancers develop and they grow. And with some of the exposures, that can happen, as I mentioned, 20 years plus. Uh, so at 18 years, you really have your eyes peeled for that, and we do. They have their eyes on everyone who was south of Canal Street. And the patterns we have so far, we've tried to look, for example, at uh, intensity of exposure. So when the dust cloud came down, that's a maximal exposure. If you ha were there and then worked on the pile and stayed there, that's very high exposure. But so far, it hasn't really been as predictive as we thought, and that's probably because of the haphazard nature of what, what was happening. It's a really frustrating thing when you think about it. I can, I can remember looking at some results from those little cups that we took around. And so a manhole over here and a manhole over here. It's like 100 feet away. Manhole A, full of asbestos. You'd think it was an asbestos mine. Manhole B had none, zero. So you could have two people doing the same job 100 feet from each other and have completely different exposures. And that's just the way it was. So to try and match uh, without really, really complete granular information, which we don't have, is, is pretty tough. Tough is the work at the Mount Sinai Clinic. Tender are the doctors and nurses who check out responders top to bottom looking for any hints of disease, including psychological scars. The studies have demonstrated, uh, at least one of the studies done by our uh, World Trade Center Registry Group, that um, there was an increased risk of suicide in, in responders. Um, and they were mostly um, male, and they were um, non-police responders. Um, so this is really sort of a, a warning to all of us that uh, that is sort of lurking out there. And of course, we are 
we are we really mourn the, the tragedy of the recent losses of police officers here in the city. Um, there may be a relationship for some of them with World Trade, um, but everything, every all of us here at Sinai are more than willing to support any of them uh, at this time. For Dr. Crane and his staff, their mission is personal. They are deeply invested in helping September 11th responders. I have this terrible, terrible thought every once in a while that there's a group of people who I don't know who are out there and who've been exposed who are then going to come down with some type of rare tumor, uh, things that are even on the, not even on the lists we have. Um, and they're going to go to doctors who are going to try and help them um, who are not going to make the connection between here and World Trade, um, and they're not going to get the right care. And that makes me crazy. That makes me crazy because we're here and we're ready and we want to help. And the same thing is true with people who have untreated mental health conditions. We can help. We can actually save lives, and we're really wanting to do that. So even now, even 18 years later, I'm begging people to come in. Please come in. Please be part of the program. We'll take good care of you. It's a promise that can be kept thanks to determined first responders, New York's congressional leaders, and one unflinching entertainer. The Zadroga Act has been funded through 2090. John Stewart is uh, my personal hero. Um, he is a magnificent human being, generous and intelligent and kind and dedicated to these folks. Uh, he, is, um, he is the best. Let's just say that. Many would argue the folks at Mount Sinai are the best, too. Dr. Crane admires his patience. It's very hard when somebody dies. Um, it is, um, it, it, but it's a, you know, a challenge for any physician and, not, and, and any nurse and any healthcare person, uh, not just us. Um, you become, uh, these are some of the bravest, finest people I've ever seen in my life. Um, it's an honor to be there. And um, come hell or high water, we're here. At Mount Sinai, Sean Adams, WCBS News Radio 880.